This is the Music Halls of Fame podcast. This week we honor the year in music for 2001 along with a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 2001. We also look at the list of first-time eligible artists for next year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class and our Spotlight Hall of Fame is the Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum in Nashville, Tennessee. Before we get going with the podcast, like everyone tells you, please like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so you'll know when these podcast episodes drop, which is usually every Thursday. Now, on to this week's episode. The year was 2001. It was a really busy year for music, but was shaped by a couple of major events, both of them terrorist-related and both of them on American soil. First, the setup. George W. Bush was sworn in on January 20, 2001 as President of the United States after the very controversial 2000 presidential election, which saw the whole entire thing decided by the Supreme Court stopping the vote count in Florida. On September 7, 2001, Michael Jackson held the first of his two 30th anniversary star-studded tribute concerts at Madison Square Garden in New York City. That same day, singer Ryan Adams recorded a music video for his song, New York, New York. In the video, Ryan stood on the Brooklyn side of the East River with the skyline of Lower Manhattan behind him. Among the buildings of the skyline were the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center. On September 10th, while testifying in front of Congress about $3.2 trillion in missing defense money, Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld called the Pentagon bureaucracy the biggest threat to America. On the evening of September 10th, Michael Jackson performed the second of those tribute concerts at the Garden. Meanwhile, Yours truly went to Borders Books and Music at the World Trade Center in the mall to buy a book. I guarantee you that neither Ryan Adams, Michael Jackson, nor myself had a clue about how much our lives would all be influenced by what happened the very next day. September 11th, 2001 started out like almost any other day. The big news in New York City was that Michael Jordan, the night before, had announced that he was coming out of retirement to play basketball for the Washington Wizards. It was also primary voting day in New York City, as we in the city were going to vote for mayor to replace outgoing mayor Rudy Giuliani. There were new album releases that day from Jay-Z, Mariah Carey, and Bob Dylan because albums came out on Tuesdays, unlike the Fridays that they now come out on. It was a pretty relatively calm, sunny day. Kind of warm, actually, for September. Singer, actor, and writer Seth MacFarlane of Family Guy fame and rapper and actor Marky Mark Wahlberg were both scheduled to be on different flights out of Boston, Massachusetts, going to Los Angeles, California that morning. Both ended up missing those flights. Good thing, because those flights were the planes that went into the World Trade Center. 
the first one at 8.46 a.m. By the time the morning had ended, four airplanes were hijacked and crashed in New York City, Washington, D.C., and a field in Pennsylvania, and almost 3,000 people lost their lives, including three of my friends. That was soon followed by retaliatory strikes on the Taliban and Al-Qaeda leader Osama bin Laden in Afghanistan, starting the Afghanistan War, which to date is still the longest war in United States history. On September 18th, the anthrax terror campaign started as letters were mailed containing the deadly chemical to various news organizations and congressional people. 22 people came in contact with anthrax. Five of them died as a result. For years, the person who was the prime suspect was bioweapons expert Stephen Hatfill. However, after finally being exonerated in 2005, the FBI turned their attention to scientist and new chief suspect Bruce Edwards Ivins. Ivins committed suicide in 2007. The FBI named Ivins as the main suspect in 2008 and closed the case officially in 2010. Now, where does music fit into this whole entire landscape? Well, aside from the Ryan Adams, Mark Wahlberg, and Michael Jackson references, plenty. First off, after all of these events, the mood in the country shifted drastically into a heightened sense of fear, sorrow, and anger, which greatly affected music. MTV and VH1 stopped playing music videos and instead played news reports from CBS News. The Latin Grammy Awards, which were scheduled that day, were canceled. Sting, who was beginning an internet live stream when the attack started, only played one song, his song Fragile, then cut the stream. The events of that day literally changed some albums. Dream Theater, for instance, changed the cover art to their new album, as did Bush. Sheryl Crow decided not to release a song about having a lack of heroes. Dave Matthews changed their next single release from When the World Ends to Every Day, which became a big hit in its own right. A lot of songs were written about that day, from the Beastie Boys with an open letter to New York City, to Beyonce with I Was There, to Mary Chapin Carpenter with Grand Central Station, to two songs from Sheryl Crow for her upcoming album Detours. Bruce Springsteen put out an entire album about the attacks called The Rising. Songs that were okay to listen to were suddenly banned, albeit temporarily. Clear Channel Communications, one of the largest radio station owners at the time and now called iHeartRadio, gave their stations a list of songs that they highly suggested should not be played. Among them were Knockin' on Heaven's Door, both the Guns N' Roses and Bob Dylan versions, Drowning Pool's Bodies, still a great song by the way, and every single song by Rage Against the Machine. There was also a charity concert held at Madison Square Garden in New York City for the attack's victims. Among the acts who performed were The Who, David Bowie, and Jay-Z. There is an extra side note to that particular concert. The organizer of the concert was a guy whose arrest would help to jumpstart the hashtag MeToo movement of the last seven years or so, Harvey Weinstein.
Another thing that happened because of the attacks was that Gerard Way, who watched the attacks happen as he was in New York City, as was I, decided right afterwards to not put off his dreams any longer, and he formed a band. The band? My Chemical Romance. The Anthrax attacks had a direct impact on the band Anthrax, who were suddenly inundated with calls to change their name, sort of a pseudo-cancel culture type of thing. They said no, thankfully, although they jokingly said that they had toyed around with the idea of changing their name to, quote, a basket full of puppies, end quote, which, not a bad name, but Anthrax seemed to work for the band. Other things concerning music happened, especially before September 11 changed everything. iTunes, for instance, premiered in 2001, as did XM Satellite Radio, now called Sirius XM, and the iPod, changing the music industry forever. A woman was killed at the Big Day Out Festival when fans rushed the stage during a Limp Bizkit performance. Don Felder was fired from the Eagles. Jennifer Lopez became the first female artist to have a number one album and movie in the same week, as both her album J-Lo and her movie The Wedding Planner both hit number one the week of February 1st. Napster was shut down by a court order. The first CD to have anti-copying technology was released. That album, by the way, was Charlie Pride's A Tribute to Jim Reeves. Mariah Carey had her mental health issues become very public during an unannounced visit to MTV's Total Request live TV show when she performed a striptease and then released a statement where she said that she didn't know what was going on with her. Whitney Houston signed a new record deal with Arista Records, which was worth $100 million. Bands that formed in 2001 included Arcade Fire, Audio Slave, The Black Keys, Gabriel and Dresden, Dirty Vegas, The Dresden Dolls, My Chemical Romance, the aforementioned My Chemical Romance, The Killers, Sneaky Sound System, and Vinnie Vici. Bands that either broke up until their inevitable reunions or announced their hiatus included All Saints, Aqua, The Afghan Wigs, James, Babes in Toyland, Damn Yankees, Deep Blue Something, Electric Light Orchestra, a.k.a. ELO, Sunny Day Real Estate, Republica, Elastica, Savage Garden, Skunk Anansi, and Escape. Bands that reformed in 2001 included Level 42, The Monkees, Maroon 5, Roxy Music, Zebra, Sunny Day Real Estate, who actually broke up and reformed the same year, and ELO, again, broke up, reformed, same year. Although, on that one, the driving force of the band, Jeff Lynne, did not join the reunion. And yes, Sunny Day and ELO broke up and got back together. It's been known to happen in the same year. Sure, happens all the time, actually. Artists who were born in 2001 include Billie Eilish, Thomas Raggy of Maniskin, Zach Heron of Why Don't We, Carson Luters, and Lil TJ. Singer Aaliyah was killed in a plane crash in 2001 when her small plane was overloaded with gear for a music video she was shooting in the Bahamas and then crashed shortly after takeoff. 
also passing away in a completely separate plane crash from ILEA in 2001 were Melanie Thornton of the Eurodance band La Bouche and Nathalie Van Het Endy and Maria Serrano of the Eurodance band Passion Fruit. When their Swiss airline Crossair Flight 3597 crashed during poor visibility, killing the three singers along with 21 other people. That flight became known as the day Eurodance died. Other artists who passed away in 2001 include George Harrison, blues great John Lee Hooker, country music star Chet Atkins, John Phillips of the Mamas and the Papas, Joey Ramone of the Ramones, entertainer Perry Como, Les Brown of Les Brown and his band of renown, Charles Pettigrew of Charles and Eddie, composer John Fahey, violinist Isaac Stern, harmonica great Larry Adler, Carl Crack of Atari Teenage Riot, Stuart Adamson of Big Country, Kenny Green of Intro, drummer Billy Higgins, trombonist J.J. Johnson, and Chuck Schuldiner, ironically of the band Death. Chuck passed away from brain cancer at the age of 34 that year. Billboard's biggest selling album that year was Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory. Other big sellers were by Shaggy, InSync, Enya, Stained, Alicia Keys, U2, The Beatles, Destiny's Child, Creed, The O oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack, and Now That's What I Call Music Volume 6. Billboard's biggest selling song of 2001 was Lifehouse's Hanging by a Moment. Other big songs were Fallen by Alicia Keys, All for You by Janet Jackson, Drops of Jupiter by Train, I'm Real by Jennifer Lopez and Ja Rule, If You're Gone by Matchbox 20, Let Me Blow Your Mind by Eve and Gwen Stefani, Thank You by Dido, Again by Lenny Kravitz, and Independent Women by Destiny's Child. Heavy metal in 2001 was still breathing, though it had fully transformed into rap rock and pop punk, with bands like Linkin Park, P.O.D., and Sum 41 topping the charts. Big bands like Nickelback, Aerosmith, Entombed, Drowning Pool, Guar, Tool, System of a Down, Slipknot, Slayer, Judas Priest, Megadeth, and Avenged Sevenfold all put out albums that year as well. In country music, the big albums of the year were released by Brooks and Dunn, Tim McGraw, Martina McBride, Reba McIntyre, Leanne Rimes, Lone Star, Trisha Yearwood, Toby Keith, George Strait, and Garth Brooks. Top singles were released by Brooks and Dunn, Tim McGraw, Blake Shelton, Sarah Evans, Keith Urban, Kenny Chesney, Toby Keith, Lone Star, Diamond Rio, and Alan Jackson. In hip-hop, DMX, D12, Ja Rule, Nas, Lil Bow Wow, now known as just Bow Wow, Ludacris, Juvenile, and Jadakiss all had top-selling albums. Jay-Z released the album The Blueprint on 9-11, ironically, while the Tupac posthumous release Until the End of Time was also a huge seller. Singles-wise, Nelly had three big singles, Ride With Me, Number One, and E.I. Outkast had Ms. Jackson and So Fresh and So Clean Clean. Jay-Z had Izzo and Girls, Girls, Girls. Trick Daddy had I'm a Thug, D12 had Purple Pills, Eric Sermon had Music, 
Ludacris had area codes fabulous, had Can't Deny It, and Nas had Uchiwali. In dance music, Daft Punk released their album Discovery in 2001. A young DJ named Tiesto released his debut solo album called In My Memory. That year's class of pop and R&B crossover dance chart toppers included Depeche Mode, Madonna, O-Town, Destiny's Child, Maxwell, Jennifer Lopez, U2, Janet Jackson, Enrique Iglesias, and Stevie Nicks. There were some more legit EDM artists that had big hits in 2001, like the Chemical Brothers, Christine W., Madison Avenue, David Morales, Salida, Sono, Abigail, Tamia, Kim English, Fotec, and Majo. On Broadway, two musicals opened that went on to shatter records everywhere. The producers, with Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane, and the musical based on ABBA songs, Mamma Mia. In Latin music, the biggest albums of the year were released by Paulina Rubio, Christina Aguilera, Vicente Fernandez, A.B., Quintanilla y Los Cupia Kings, Lupio Rivera, Ricky Martin, Azul Azul, Grupo Brindis, Luis Miguel, and Marco Antonio Solis. At the Grammy Awards for the music of 2001, the Oh Brother Where Art Thou movie soundtrack won Album of the Year, which was why it was such a popular album that year. Alicia Keys won Song of the Year for Fallen and also won Best New Artist. U2 won Record of the Year for Walk On. At the American Music Awards, U2 won Artist of the Year. At the Billboard Music Awards, Destiny's Child won Artist of the Year. At the MTV Video Music Awards, Christina Aguilera, Lil' Kim, Mia, Pink, and Missy Elliott all won Video of the Year for Lady Marmalade. That was also the show when Britney Spears performed the song I'm a Slave for You with a python wrapped around her body. At the Eurovision Singing Contest, which was held that year in Copenhagen, Denmark, Estonia won for the song Everybody. At the Tony Awards, the producers, the aforementioned producers, won Best Musical, winning 12 Tony Awards out of 15 nominations. 42nd Street won Best Revival of a Musical that year. Musically, at the Academy Awards, If I Didn't Have You from Monsters, Inc. won Best Song, and The Lord of the Rings won Best Score. The Pulitzer Prize for Music was shared in 2001 by John Corigliano for Symphony No. 2 for String Orchestra, Stephen Hartke for Tatuli, and Fred Lerdahl for Time After Time. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony was held on March 19, 2001 at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City. At that year's ceremony, they inducted guitarist James Burton and pianist Johnny Johnson into the Sidemen category. Island Records founder Chris Blackwell was inducted into the non-performers category. And in the performers category, the hall inducted Aerosmith, Solomon Burke, Michael Jackson, The Flamingos, Queen, Paul Simon, Richie Valens, and this next group. The group, Steely Dan, consisted mainly of two guys, Walter Becker and Donald Fagan. 
Both of them started the group in 1972, had a ton of hits, broke up in 1981 for over a decade or so off and on, and then came back storming in 1993 and continued until Walter's death on September 3, 2017 at the age of 67. Steely Dan, the group, still continues to tour, though. Fagan and Becker met when they both attended Bard College in New York State. They moved to Brooklyn after college and tried to get music companies to notice them by knocking on doors in the famous music company building, the Brill Building in New York City on Broadway. That was the building where songwriters like Carole King worked out of. The plan actually worked, and soon they were noticed and started writing songs for others. It was slow going at first due to the complexity of their songwriting. At that point, they were told that maybe they should just start their own band. Steely Dan, the group, released their debut album Can't Buy a Thrill in 1972, which had the classics Do It Again and Reelin' in the Years. They followed that album up with 1973's Countdown to Ecstasy, which had Showbiz Kids and My Old School. 1974's album Pretzel Logic had the classic Ricky Don't Lose That Number. 1975's Katie Lied had Black Friday. The Royal Scam, which they released in 1976, was a good album, although it didn't have any real hits per se. 1977's album Asia is still considered to be one of the greatest albums of all time and had classic rock staples Peg, Deacon Blues, and Josie, while the song FM that they did for the movie FM that same year has also become a classic rock playlist song. 1980's album Gaucho had the hits Hey 19 and Time Out of Mind, and then the group took about a decade off. Donald Fagan went on to have a solo career that yielded one popular hit off his 1982 album, The Nightfly, the song IGY, What a Beautiful World. Meanwhile, Walter took the time off to move to Hawaii, became an avocado farmer of all things, and more importantly, kicked a really nasty drug habit that he had for most of his career up until then. The guys would eventually get back together in the mid-1980s and work on some unreleased material before finally getting the band back together to go out on tour and release their live tour album, Alive in America, in 1995. In 2000, they released their album, Two Against Nature, which didn't have any hit songs per se, but it did win them four Grammy Awards, including Album of the Year. Their last studio album together was 2003's Everything Must Go. They continued to tour together until Walter's death from cancer in 2017. Fagan continued touring as Steely Dan after a battle over band royalties with Walter's wife. And Donald still tours as Steely Dan to this day. Steely Dan was one of the most important groups of the 1970s, which was the decade of the singer-songwriter. They combined blues, jazz, R&B, and pop and turned it into a winning formula. Among the musicians who moved in and out of Steely Dan's touring lineup were Jeff Beccaro and David Page, who would go on to form the group Toto, and Michael McDonald who would join the Doobie Brothers and also have a very successful solo career of his own. 
Overall, Steely Dan would sell over 40 million records and be nominated for numerous Grammy Awards. Rolling Stone named the group as the 15th greatest musical duo of all time, while VH1 named them as the 82nd greatest artists of all time. Presented for induction by Moby, Walter Becker, and Donald Fagan. Steely Dan inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, class of 2001. Before we get to the rest of the podcast, we'd like to tell you about our other podcast, the Music History Today podcast. Every day we tell you what happened on that date in music history along with music releases, birthdays, and passings. So, if you like this podcast and want more music history, then please search the Music History Today podcast in audio or video form on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast from. Voting for the newest class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has now officially closed. While we wait for the final list of inductees, which should be announced in the next few weeks or so, let's look at who will be eligible for induction next year in their first year of eligibility. As a reminder, an artist has to have their first record released 25 years ago. This list will make you feel really, really old. The First-time eligible nominees for next year's class include 50 Cent, After Forever, Annie, Bad Meets Evil, B.B. Mac, Biffy Clyro, Black Label Society, Blue Man Group, Brad Paisley, Buck Cherry, Kala, The Caretaker, Chevelle, Chris Cornell as a solo artist, CKY, Clips, Dido, The Distillers, Elbow, Eve, Phantomas, Feist, Gogol Bordello, Hailstorm, High on Fire, Hot Hot Heat, Il Nino, Ja Rule, Jennifer Lopez, Jessica Simpson, John Mayer, John Paul Jones, Jordan Knight, Josh Ritter, Kelis, Laura Veers, Le Tigre, Lil Wayne, Los Hermanos, Ludacris, M. Ward, Macy Gray, Mandy Moore, Mates of State, My Morning Jacket, Neil Morse, Phil Lesh and Friends, Phoenix, Pillar, The Plain White Tees, Radio 4, Rilo Kylie, Royksop, Shaman's Harvest, Sick Puppies, Cisco, Sonata Artica, Splendor, Surfgen Stevens, Tal Bachman, Ted Leo and the Pharmacist, Tegan and Sarah, Thursday, Warhorse, Watane, and Westlife. I think the hall is going to have some problems in the coming years, which is beginning to show up in this list, to be honest. That problem is that it is extremely tough to make a case for a lot of upcoming artists to be inducted. I'll be blunt. As much as I love Luda's songs and his Fast and the Furious movies, he's not getting nominated. 
Same with pretty much everybody on this list. In fact, the only artists who I constrain to even vaguely consider are Jennifer Lopez, John Mayer, and Chris Cornell. Out of those three, J-Lo probably stands the best chance as a solo artist. She is, of course, a triple threat entertainer as a dancer, singer, and actress, and she's still going strong. She's got a great resume, and she's influential to a host of artists who want to dominate more than just music. She's also the first female entertainer to have a number one album, J-Lo, and number one movie, The Wedding Planner, both in the same exact week. Is she worthy of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, though? Well... That bar has changed in recent years to be more inclusive. Plus, Madonna's in, and she's an influential triple threat entertainer, so maybe there's a chance, I guess. Chris Cornell should hopefully finally get into the hall this year as a member of Soundgarden, if there's any justice in this world. I'm not so sure about him as a solo artist, though. John Mayer's put together a really nice resume of work, both as a solo artist and also as an occasional member of whatever version of the Grateful Dead tours during the summertime. So he could sneak in, depending on who else is on the list. Here's the thing, though. The lack of standout talent on the most recent list means that the obvious talent pool choices are going to dry up pretty soon. This issue does have a bright side, though, because it'll make it easier in coming years for acts like MC5, Rufus, and Chaka Khan and Sheik to finally get in, even though the Hall should have put all of those groups in a long time ago. Normally, I would take the strongest artists with a case and break them down for the next four or five weeks or so, especially the ones that look like they really have a good chance. But... This is a really, really weak first-class eligible list. So we'll go back next week to advocating for the older artists who we want to see inducted into the hall next year, like those three acts who we just said should have been inducted a long time ago. This week's Spotlight Hall of Fame is the Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum. The Country Music Hall of Fame is located at 222 Representative John Lewis Way South in Nashville, Tennessee. The Country Music Hall of Fame Museum was opened on April 1st, 1967, but they started inducting members into the hall in 1961. The first members, by the way, were Jimmy Rogers, Fred Rose, and Hank Williams Sr., the museum has almost 200,000 recordings and an extensive collection of memorabilia, both in the museum itself and in their digital archives on their website, which is countrymusichalloffame.org, and we will put that in the show notes. The museum is one of Nashville's biggest attractions and is open daily from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Ticket prices are normally $25.95 for adults and $15.95 for kids 6 through 12. Museum members and kids under 6 are admitted free. However, they still need to get tickets. And like I said before, go to countrymusichalloffame.org for more information and to reserve your tickets, especially since that price may have changed by the time you hear this. Literally. 
And this time around, instead of honoring someone who's already in the hall, I'm going to talk about someone who should have been inducted the second she became eligible, but still to this very day is not in. Shania Twain was born Eileen Edwards in Windsor, Ontario, Canada. She grew up poor as her mother remarried into what ended up being a violent relationship. Her family was sometimes in a homeless shelter, and sometimes, in order to help the family pay the bills, she sang in bars for tips. All throughout her childhood, despite the conditions, she kept at her singing. Once she got out of high school, she wanted to go further with her music. She started performing in a cover band that traveled throughout Ontario. Among the people she met along the way was country singer Mary Bailey, who took her under her wing. When Shania was in her mid-twenties, her mother and stepfather were killed in an auto accident. Shania took in her siblings and raised them for a few years until they were old enough to move out on their own. During that time, she sang in a nearby resort. And during that time, she also made some demo tapes and sent them out to the record labels. Among the labels who were interested were Mercury Nashville, who signed her to a contract. She sang back up on a few country songs, like Sammy Kershaw's Haunted Heart, before she released her first album, which didn't do too well at first. It had a couple of hits, like What Made You Say That and Dance With The One That Brought You. While that album originally didn't do well, a few things happened. First, it got her noticed and she won a Rising Star Award. The album also sold well, but that didn't actually happen until long after, after she became a megastar, and people went back and started buying up her back catalog. The third thing that happened was that producer and future husband, Mutt Lang, heard the album and wanted to help her produce and write songs for her next album, and that was the turning point. Her second album, The Woman in Me, was the album that first made her a household name. The first song, Whose Bed Have Your Boots Been Under, became a big country hit. This was also around the time that country rock, or rock country, depending on how you want to look at it, became huge, thanks to Garth Brooks, and Shania rode that wave perfectly. Her videos were on the right side of sexy, which the record label loved so they could market her more. The album sold over 12 million copies and won her a Grammy Award for Best Country Album and the Country Music Award for Album of the Year. Her next album, Come On Over, was a mega success. The album strangely never hit number one on the Billboard Albums chart, but it sold over 40 million records worldwide, spawned a ton of hits, and helped her cross over fully into the pop and international market. Her videos, of course, helped. The one for Man I Feel Like a Woman still gets talked about for its gender-switching take on Robert Palmer's Victim of Love video. They also had songs like That Don't Impress Me Much, You Got Away, From This Moment On, and this next song. You're Still the One was co-written by Shania and Mutt Lang. The song was about their love for one another, and at the time, there were a lot of critics who came after the couple once people found out that they were together. They had a big age gap between them, plus there was the whole singer marrying her producer cliche that nosy people made fun of. Through it all, they had each other. 
That is until years after this song came out when it was discovered that Mutt was actually having an affair with Shania's married best friend. And then the two couples ended up marrying each other's exes and the ultimate wife swap. You know, kids, life is weird sometimes. That's all I'm going to say. It's just weird sometimes. The new century brought problems for Shania. For instance, while her next album, Up, did well, it was not the blockbuster that the other two albums were. Add to that the implosion that her marriage became. In 2006, she released a Greatest Hits album and disappeared from sight for a little while. She also developed severe vocal issues that sidelined her career for a little while. She does put out albums. In fact, she has a new one that's out right now. And she is also doing a Las Vegas residency at Caesars Palace that it seems every artist has to do when their career has three solid albums of music, but it's still a great way to see her. Now, because of her new marriage, she is officially a resident of Switzerland, not Canada. No matter, Canada still considers her to be one of their own. And when you consider that two of her albums have sold over 10 million copies each, becoming one of the most successful artists, male or female, regardless of genre of all time, and when you consider that her contemporary in that department, country superstar Garth Brooks, was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame back in 2012, then I see absolutely zero reason why Shania Twain has not been inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame, especially now that she has come out of semi-retirement and released yet another new album and a new tour. All right, maybe there's one. The hall might not actually put in Canadians or Swiss people, but if that's the reason, then change the rule. Seriously. Because... It really seems kind of stupid to keep the most successful female country music artists out of your Hall of Fame based on a technicality. Shania Twain, who, regardless of which country she's repping these days, should be considered for induction into the Country Music Hall of Fame in Nashville, Tennessee. And that is it for this episode of the Music Halls of Fame podcast. For more podcast episodes, which drop every Thursday in audio and video form, then please like, subscribe, and click the notification bell on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio Podcasts, CastBox, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast from. Music